Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? You glad to be here? All right. Well, man, thank you so much for being here. And boy, just great to see those baptisms. We baptized in all three services today and across in the student area. So can we praise God for that as well uh, today? Uh, so thank you for being here. If you're worshiping with us online, we're super glad to have you also with us today online. So uh, some of you guys may know what the Mandalorian is. Anybody in the house know what the Mandalorian is? All right, yeah, there are a few of you. All right, as you, all right, I see you Star Warsy people out there. All right, so Mandalorian is like a super popular show right now on uh, Apple Plus. I mean Disney Plus, and and it's it's part of that Star Wars world, Star Wars world, or universe of, of movies and films and so on. Disney purchased the rights uh, to Star Wars from George Lucas, get this, for a little over $4 billion with a B. And so they, they've already made a lot of that back. Uh, but, but they c continue to create movies and series and comics and novels all in the Star Wars theme. And many of these are prequels to the first initial Star Wars that came out in the late 1970s. So you got all these shows now and these subplots and so on, all leading up to the one that started in the late 70s. So if you're just watching one of these films, you can enjoy it, you can appreciate it just watching it. But if you're with somebody who's kind of a Star Wars nerd, you know, or a Star Wars connoisseur, you know, and really knows all this stuff is online and knows all the interactions, they see that movie with a whole level of depth, right, than just a casual observer. Well, the same thing is true when you are looking at the Christmas story. When you look at the Christmas story, many of you have heard the Christmas story over and over before, but if you understand the story before the story, then you see a level of depth to it and a level of meaning to it that is often overlooked by the casual observer, okay? So what I wanna to do today is I wanna roll the tape back and I wanna take you back to the story before the story. So get your Bible out. I want you to open up with me to Isaiah chapter 7. That's where we're going to land today for just a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage uh, for what is happening. The scene is King Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he is under attack. All right? He's under attack. Uh, up to this point, Judah had been one nation, and then there was a civil war, and ten tribes split to the north. That became the northern kingdom of Israel. Two tribes to the south became the kingdom of Judah. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And he's under attack by two northern kingdoms, led by two kings. The first king was a man named Rezin, who was the king of Aram, or what is modern day Syria, Damascus, all right? And then the other one was a king named Pekah, who is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? And these guys have formed an alliance, and now they're coming down against Judah to defeat King Ahaz and to replace them with a leader that they like better, all right? That's what's happening. And by the way, this, this assault on Judah was very real. One other Bible book accounts that King Ahaz lost in one day 120,000 soldiers in a day. Can you imagine? 
and, and several hundred thousand were, several other thousand were led off into captivity. So things were not going well for King Ahaz. He was under attack. It was a, it was a lengthy, lengthy uh, process and he was losing people. And he was very fearful that they were gonna overcome him and take Jerusalem and, and, and maybe kill off the line of King David that was so important. And so if you look in, in chapter seven, verse two, you'll see how he felt about it. It says the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind, right? That means they were terrified, right? Terrified of what was coming against them. And so enter the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah comes in and he has a word for the king. And Isaiah was a man of God that was speaking for God to the king. And basically, I'm going to give you the Etheridge paraphrase. He says, hey, king, don't worry about it. These two, two nations you think you're so concerned about, they're like, they're like burning twigs that, I can, that God can stomp under his feet. All right? They, they're not a big deal. You trust God. You stand firm. You, you exercise your faith in front of these people. And God will protect you. In fact, if you look down in verse 9, chapter 7, verse 9, he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. In other words, this is your moment to stand firm in the Lord. Now, it was hard for Ahaz to do that because he had seen already so much chaos, so much loss, so much devastation. It was hard for him to trust God. Now, let me just hit the brakes right here and just say, that may be where you guys are right now. You may be here today, and it's hard for you to trust God. I mean, let's just face it, 2020 has been lousy, right? It's been a terrible year. And many of you have gone through a lot of loss. Some of you loss of jobs, some of you loss of kind of what you thought your graduation was gonna be, what you thought, you know, your entry into the, um, the workforce was gonna be like. Some of you have lost relationships. Some of you have, have lost loved ones. Some of you have had uh, parents and grandparents that have passed away in a hospital and you couldn't even get to them. And so there's a lot of loss. And so you come to church and the preacher says, well, just trust God. That's it's true. It's important, but it's sometimes hard to do that in the face of loss and disappointment. And so you can relate to King Ahaz, all right? The prophet is saying, you need to trust God. This is your moment to stand firm in your faith. And he's wavering. So, Ahaz, so Isaiah decides to give King Ahaz a, a special option. And he says, uh, look, why don't you just ask God for a sign? Ask God to give you a sign so that you'll know that God's going to protect you. And you can have faith in that. All right? It will bolster your faith. And, and so King Ahaz goes, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to give God a sign. Which sounds very pious, but in, in, in actuality, he just didn't want to trust God. He didn't want a sign from God. And so Isaiah says, all right, well, if you're not going to ask for a sign, then God's just going to give you one. And that's where we get to in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So look at me with, with me. This is the word of God. He says, therefore, therefore, because you haven't asked God for a sign, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here it is. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will, eat, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread 
will be abandoned. In other words, okay, God's going to give you a sign, and here's a sign. There's going to be a, a child that is born, a son that is born, and when this son is old enough to know right from wrong, when he's old enough to eat on his own, he's weaned from his mother, then, then these kings that you're so concerned about, these nations you're so worried about, are going to be gone. They're going to be just eradicated off the planet. Now, I want you to notice something before we go too far. Uh, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I want you to notice something you don't pick up in, in the English. If you'll circle that word you there, the word you is in the plural, all right? So uh, we have in Texas a word for that called y'all, all right? We're giving y'all a sign. And what he means here is that Ahaz, this sign is for you, but it's not only for you, it is for God's people. File that away. It's going to be very important later. Okay. So, so this, is, this is the sign that God gives. A child who is promised to remind him that God is with him and promised to save him. Now, you would ask the question, well, did that sign come true? And the answer is yes. If you flip over to chapter 8. Uh, by the way, you, you take Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 all together. They're all the same story uh, over over encompassing a couple of years or several years. In chapter 8, you see that Isaiah takes a, his wife and they have a child. She gets pregnant and they have a child. And it says in verse 4, before the boy knows how to call mother or father and or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried off to the king of Assyria. So very similar to what he said in chapter 7. There's going to be a son. This son, when he gets to a certain age, uh, those nations you're afraid of are going to be gone. This is a sign. So Isaiah's wife has her child. Uh, they name him. You go on down to verse 18, chapter 8, verse 18. Just run your finger down. And here is Isaiah now with his children. He says, here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwell on Mount Zion. So here is Isaiah. His sons are now with him as signs that God is going to be faithful to his promise. And was God faithful? Uh, the answer is yes. In 722 BC, the massive Assyrian superpower swept down over uh, the northern uh, state of Syria and swept down over the northern kingdom of Israel and wiped them out. Isaiah said it was almost like a mighty river that just overran its banks and just took over land. He said that's what happened. He said this Assyrian army just came and swooped down and overtook these two nations that he was so afraid of. They're gone. They're gone. God was faithful. And not only were they gone, but King Ahaz was still in power and Judah was still preserved and the line of David was still preserved and Jerusalem had not been overtaken. So God was faithful to his promise. He told him, hey, I'm going to wipe him out. And he did. And he gave a sign and that sign was true. And you would think that the people of Israel would be like, yay God, right? At this point, you think they would be like, wow, God is so faithful. God is so good. God fulfilled his promise. He gave us a sign. He was true to that sign. And, and, and now we're going to worship him. But no, that's not what happened. In, quite, in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, their hearts grew dark. Their attitude toward God grew negative. Instead of seeking God, they began to seek mediums and spiritists and psychics. Instead of praising God, they began to curse God. 
and blame God for their troubles. And it says, Isaiah says that a, just a, a heavy sense of gloom and despair settled and darkness settled over the whole land. And so Isaiah seeing all this goes, okay, well, God gave a promise and he fulfilled it. There must be more to this promise. So God begins to reveal to Isaiah that this sign of a child who would be God with us and would save his people, there's more coming about this sign. This isn't the only fulfillment of, there's something greater coming. There's something more, uh, a greater fulfillment of it coming down the line. In fact, God begins to reveal this to Isaiah in chapter nine. So look at chapter nine, Isaiah nine. Look, uh, just begin at verse uh, two. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Then look on down to verse six. The child will be born to us. There it is, the ultimate child. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. See, he was saying that uh, one day there's going to come a, a, a time when there's the ultimate fulfillment of this, that there's going to be a, a son given, a child born, and he's not going to be just called Emmanuel, God with us. He is going to be eternal father, eternal God with us. And he is not only just going to defeat a, a, a regional army, he's going to save his people ultimately from their sin and establish his rule and reign on the earth. This was the promise that Isaiah had. This was the promise that was hanging in the air now for 700 years. I would, have you ever seen a lake that was just perfect, like completely still? You ever seen, uh, like just imagine a lake and man, there's no movement at all, no ripples, you can see the reflection of the trees in the water. It's like glass. Now picture that you, you, you reach out and pick up a smooth stone in your hand. You kind of manipulate it in your hand to where your forefinger just slips over the edge of that stone. And then you rear back and with your best sidearm Patrick Mahomes throw, right? You release this stone across the water and it hovers over and then it skips and skips and skips and then finally it disappears in the water, right? And every skip leaves a little set of ripples with it. In many ways, Old Testament prophecy is like skipping stones. That there is usually an initial meaning to that prophecy that has substance for the moment, for the immediate context and yet there is more to come that as that stone keeps moving as God's sovereignty keeps moving forward that prophecy is also waiting for a another appointed time for an even greater fulfillment now with this prophecy in Isaiah 7 8 and 9 what you have is you have an immediate fulfillment to King Ahaz that a, a, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You give his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then when he gets old enough, you're gonna see these nations uh, are taken away or destroyed. This had immediate contextual meaning, but also the promise, remember, was not just for Ahaz, it was for y'all, remember? It was not just for Ahaz, it was for the people. And so there is yet a greater fulfillment coming that the prophet is awaiting and the people are awaiting. 
And so we see that, that second ultimate fulfillment, the second skip, if you will, found in Matthew chapter 1. So get your Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18, all right? If you're with me, say amen. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So you have a child, a son that will save, right? And then just to make sure that Joseph connected all the dots, Look at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that is the prophet Isaiah, and now he's going to quote Isaiah 7:14. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin birth, probably next to the resurrection, is, is one of the greatest debates in the life of Jesus. Um, People question the resurrection, but they, many, many, many question the virgin birth. With the advent of rationalism in the late 19th century and um, naturalism in the 20th century, you have a whole group of people that are basically saying anything that is not common in the natural world should be discounted and rejected. So anything in the Bible, anything in your Bible that is supernatural, anything that is a miracle, these things should be cut out of your Bible and rejected because they're not according to the natural order. In fact, they would say that a virgin birth is irrational and really laughable. The liberal theologians today, uh, progressive pastors, and even antagonistic atheists reject the virgin birth. This is very common to ultimately reject the virgin birth and kind of laugh at it. It kind of reminds me when Will Smith was being interviewed on the Today Show about Tom Cruise's belief in Scientology and Will Smith just simply said, how can I condemn someone for what they believe? I believe that God was born of a pregnant virgin. In other words, how crazy is that, right? And, and yet that is exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches clearly that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, we don't just take our word for it. We, this is all the way through the scripture. For example, you just take Mary's own testimony when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to bear the son of God. Her first response wasn't, wow, that's really cool. Her first response is found in Luke 134 that says, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? I mean, how is it possible that I can bear a child when I am a virgin? That's her first response. The early church creeds all reflected a virgin birth. The early church confessions all reflected a virgin birth. In fact, uh, Dr. 
J. Grisham Machen, who has probably written one of the greatest treatises on the virgin birth, uh, wrote this. He said, quote, there, is, there is, can be no doubt that at the close of the second century, the virgin birth of Christ was regarded as an absolute essential part of the Christian belief by the Christian church in all parts of the known world. By the second century, everybody knew what the gospel writers knew, and that was Jesus was born of a virgin. And you have that also in this passage I just read out of Matthew. Oh, two times in verse 18 and in verse 20, we're, we're told that this conception is of the Holy Spirit. It's not, he's not naturally born. He wasn't born with a, a human father, that his conception was of the Holy Spirit. That he was born of God. And then, of course, in Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14, which says this, this promise that was given to the people of Israel, this promise that Isaiah talked about, this promise that was for you, you people of Israel, this is now coming true. And by the way, isn't that exactly what the angels told the shepherds when they showed up to announce the birth of Jesus? They said this uh, in Luke 2. They said, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord, this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So, so if the first skip of that prophecy was found in Isaiah's time, the second skip of that prophecy is actually found in the birth of Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment, the greater fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. And by the way, Jesus also knew that he was not born of natural means. In fact, in, in John chapter 3, verse 31, Jesus is talking about that he is not of the earth, that he is from heaven. And he said this, he said, the one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And he's speaking about himself. I've come from heaven. I came here. Uh, from heaven, my Father is the one that brought me here and provided this body uh, for me. And of course, this was what the gospel writers wrote. Matthew articulates clearly the virgin birth. Luke articulates clearly the virgin birth. While Mark does not mention the virgin birth, he, there's a lot of things Mark doesn't mention. Mark is the briefest of all the gospels we have. And yet Mark came out most either close to or just before Matthew and certainly would have been alive Mark or Peter to, to denounce it if it wasn't true. This was commonly held. Of course, John comes way later, about 30, 25, 30 years later after the other gospels and John doesn't talk about the virgin birth. But what John does talk about is the word was with God and the word was God and he became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. See, so this, we have Mary's story, Joseph's story. We have the angel's testimony. We have creeds and, and confessions. We have the testimony of the early church. We have Jesus. We have the apostles. We have all this pointing us to the, the uh, veracity of the virgin birth. And yet there are people that still today, they go, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It's, not that, it's just not that big a deal. In fact, progressive pastors today are selling that. Uh, on just about every magazine that's at the checkout counter at just about every grocery store. In fact, uh, Rob Bell, a, a noted progressive uh, pastor writer, he probably articulates clearly uh, than any. He said, quote, 
What if tomorrow someone digs up a definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was just a bit of mythologizing the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra or Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular in the time of Jesus whose gods had virgin births. Can you still be a Christian? Is the way of Jesus still the best possible way to live? In other words, he's saying, you know, the virgin birth really doesn't matter that much. I mean, you can still be a Christian and not hold to the virgin birth. He, Rob Bell is saying it's not a big deal. But what I'm telling you is it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I want you to leave here today uh, wondering kind of where we stand on this issue. So I'm going to try to make it like crystal clear for you. The virgin birth is not a peripheral issue. It is not a minimal issue for the church. It is a foundational a dogma and teaching and doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ. It had always been that way and it is still today. We have not like uh, become so sophisticated with technology that now we realize that that's impossible when back then they didn't realize that that was impossible. No, they knew it was impossible back then. That's why it was a miracle, right? And that's why it was a sign. And that's why it's a sign for us today. But let me tell you in the next five minutes, I'm going to tell you why the virgin birth is so important. All right. Are you, if you're taking notes, jot this down. I want you to talk about it over lunch. All right. And see if you can even add more to it. But I'm going to give you three reasons why the virgin birth is important still to us today. Here's the number one. Uh, first, the virgin birth is what makes the atonement possible. It's what makes the atonement possible. The manner of Jesus' birth has everything to do with the meaning of his death. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then that would mean that Jesus was born by natural means, right? And if he was born by natural means, then that would mean that Jesus had a sin nature. And if Jesus had a sin nature, then that means that he could not be sinless, which is taught over and over in the scriptures, the sinlessness of Jesus. And why is that important? Because only in his sinless nature is he then able to be the God-man and go to a cross and take on your sin. In fact, his sinlessness and his death are linked together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. You get that? If Jesus were a mere man, he would have to die for his own sin. Just like the high priest in the Old Testament had to offer sacrifices for their own sin before they could offer for anyone else. But Jesus being the sinless son of man, the God man, was able to now become a mediator between God and man. That's why 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So without the virgin birth, you cannot have an atonement. And if you have no atonement, then you have no gospel. And if you have no gospel, you have no hope. So it's essential and critical to the gospel message. Second reason why it's important is the virgin birth is what makes Jesus' intercession possible. Because the manner of Jesus' birth has everything to do with the manner of his work in heaven. Now you think about it, you know, a lot of people think, well, Jesus kind of ascended up into heaven and he's kind of 
checking out old reruns on TV land, you know, and, and, and eating chips, you know, until the father says, okay, it's time to go back. No, Jesus is actually working. He's busy. He's preparing a place for you. He's also interceding for you. Do you know one of the things that Jesus does for us even now after he sent us uh, the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you, especially in the most difficult of times that you walk through. In Romans chapter eight, verse 34, it says Jesus is praying for you. I, I love in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, it says that he ever lives to make intercession for the saint. So Jesus is actively praying for you and interceding for you to comfort you and to help you and to give you mercy in your time of need. This is why, and you jot this down, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin, All right? So there is the sinless nature of Jesus. And then the next words are, therefore, because he is sinless, because he is a God man, because he is virgin born, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, I want you to know that I have prayed with a lot of people over this last nine months. And I pray with a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are questioning, a lot of people who have lost a lot, who are grieving a lot. And, and what confidence do I have that when I pray for them, when I pray for you, that there's anybody listening? Well, the confidence I have is that there was a promise in Isaiah that there would be a virgin-born Savior to come, and he came. And he went to a cross, and he died, and he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand. And because he is sinless, he is now able to mediate God's mercy and God's grace and God's help when you and I are in our worst moments. So the virgin birth is what makes the intercession of Jesus possible, the comfort of the saints possible, the encouragement of his presence possible. It's all because the virgin birth. The, the, the third thing, and I'll just close with this one, the virgin birth is what makes Jesus' return possible. The, the manner of his birth has everything to do with the manner of his return that Jesus Christ is coming again. Remember I told you that, uh, that in prophecy, there's it's like skipping stones. In this prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, the first skip was in Ahaz's time, remember, when God proved to be faithful. The second skip was when Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and came into the world. But there's actually a third skip even in this prophecy because when you go to Isaiah chapter nine, this gives me goosebumps, by the way. When you get to Isaiah chapter nine, preacher's getting fired up. Isaiah chapter nine, and he talks about a child will be born, a son will be given, the government will be on his shoulders, his name will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Then, then now he starts talking about something that's even beyond the birth of Jesus, right? He's now into the coming of Christ, the second coming of Jesus. And this is what he says, the dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And then he said, the zeal of the Lord of armies is gonna make this happen. See what he's saying there? He's saying, even in this prophecy, there's another skip coming that we're awaiting, right? 
We're waiting, and that is when Jesus Christ comes again. He's not going to come as he did before. He's not going to come in humility and silence and servitude. He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. The, the, the skies are going to split. The Son of God is going to come down with the message on his thigh that says, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's going to come, and he's going to right every wrong. He's going to put evil down. He's going to kick the devil out. He's going to establish his throne, and thr- his throne and his reign on the earth, and we can have hope in that. Uh, by the way, isn't that good news? Come on, somebody tell me, is that good news? So we have, because of Christmas, because of the virgin birth, we have this tremendous hope of a coming Savior who is going to rule and reign in righteousness and judgment. You know, I don't, I, I'm going to give you a newsflash that's going to shock you. This world's messed up, right? It's jacked up. There is no justice. There is no righteousness. Everybody's got a motive. Everybody's got an angle. Everything's about deception. But there's a time coming when King Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to set it straight. He's going to make it right. So we look for that third skip. We look for that, that fulfillment that Isaiah saw even all those years ago. So what does that mean for you and for me? That means this, uh, because of the prophecy of Isaiah, the story before the story, if you need comfort and help today, if you need hope that things will be better, that Jesus is going to come and make it right today, if you need to know that you're right with God today, if you want to be forgiven today, if you want to start over today, if you want to experience the love of God today, You can, because Jesus has come, because he's faithful to his word, you can. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. And maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure if you're right with God. I wanna give you a chance to do that right now. I never wanna end a service without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Because you know what? You may have said no many times before, but this is your day. Maybe God is speaking at your heart right now. The Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. You're not saved. You never given your life to Christ. And this is your moment to trust God. Much like King Ahaz, he had his moment. He had to make a decision. Maybe this is your moment. You have a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to give my life to Christ? Am I going to make him first in my life? See, God so loved you that he sent his only son. Because our sin is separated from God, Jesus came to reconcile us to God, to make us right with him. Because he loves you. And he wants you to know him. The Bible says if anyone will call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to do just that. And maybe if you have lingering doubts, maybe if you're not sure where you stand with God, if you're not sure that if you died today, that you go to heaven, then you can know for sure. These things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God, that you may have life in his name. And maybe today's your day to say yes to Jesus. So I'm gonna walk you through a simple prayer. That prayer is gonna be acknowledging your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you and to lead your life. And if that's what you want, If right now the Holy Spirit is pulling at your heart, then would you pray this simple prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, 
I know I've sinned against you and I've lost my way. But I believe you were born of a virgin, that you died on the cross for my sin, that you rose again from the dead in power and that you're coming again. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please fill me with your spirit. Please make me a new person. Today I choose to follow you with all that I have. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me this gift of eternal life. Father, I thank you, God, for your unfailing love for us. Lord, thank you for this word that you've given us, this Bible, that puts all the pieces together, the story before the story. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you, the comfort that we have now in you. Thank you for the assurance that we can be right with you and reconciled with you, God, that you are truly God with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. And I pray as we go into this week, as our hearts prepare for Christmas Eve, that we would um, go with great joy, ready to share what you've done for us, Lord. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.